Tim, you used to own a Jeep. Do you, do you miss that? Do you miss that thing? Sometimes I do. On nice sunny days, I, I certainly do. On cold or rainy days, not so much. Do are there any like uh, convertible Teslas? I think that some people might have chopped the top or something. Uh, oh, like a T-top style. Something like, but definitely aftermarket crazy stuff. Huh? Why do you think? Do you think there will be a convertible Tesla at some point? I mean, is that you ever heard that? No, I don't think that there ever will be. Uh, what got you into Jeeps in the first place? Um, I don't, you know, I mean, I was in my twenties. I was in uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, Air Force guy, you know, just waiting to burn a hole in my pocket. So what better way to, uh, to do that than with uh, a Jeep and the accessories that you can do with a, with a Jeep. Do you remember like your miles per gallon on that thing? Oh gosh, it was terrible. I get it, was a nine, it was, yeah, I, I want to say yeah, I was like 15 or 16 or something. I mean, uh, uh, they, I don't know. I think I, I would get 220 miles per tank of gas. I remember that. It's billed at 15 to 20. It's a lie. I don't understand. But, you know, it's, a, it's the Jeep life, as you will. What, what about yeah. you guys? David and Brittany Paragraph, excited to, to chat with you guys today. What, what got you guys into uh, kind of the, the 4x4 vehicle? Yep. Hey, guys, by the way. Um, so, uh, you know, growing up in this area, I was seeing all the high school kids, you know, the kids that you look up that are older than you that you think are really cool. <clears throat> they were all driving either full-size Ford Broncos or Jeeps or, you know, the off-road rigs so that they could go. They called it rooting or rutting back in the day. I don't know. Somehow that, uh, you know, turned into off-road lingo. But, yeah, so just idolizing those kids. Then uh had a friend with an older brother. We went out in his Bronco. And after doing some off-roading in that, I was hooked. So, in high school, I had a Bronco and then a Hummer, and now we're in a Jeep. So, anything with four-wheel drive. Yeah. What 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 kind of Jeep is it these days? Uh, it's a old '98 uh, Jeep Cherokee. So okay, so it's still the ones. same Jeep from before. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and interestingly, so I bought it for six thousand, and now the average selling price is twelve thousand five hundred dollars for a Jeep Cherokee. Isn't that insane? That's gotcha. crazy. Collectors. Not often that you make money on something like that. Uh, yeah. Little... yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got a. Jeeps uh, are the ones that hold. Yeah. The highest. It was the Wrangler. Now it's becoming the Cherokee. Highest resale value. Mm -hmm. uh, the Wrangler oh, really? has that title. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, mine is uh, mine's still worth a lot, and I'm like, it's amazing to me. I'm like, wow, like, I've had this thing twelve yeah. years, and it's only lost like eleven thousand dollars in value. You oh, saw wow. your red That's one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a Wrangler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I think that was a JK. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I a uh, guy that we're trying to convince to invest in where to wheel, he just bought a <laughs> Cherokee for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, nothing nothing crazy about it other than that. It was clean. Low mileage at a hundred and thirty thousand miles. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a lot of places to uh to off road around this area? No, no, that's the thing. There's nothing within, uh, let's see, if you're going north, you're going seven hours north up to Pennsylvania. If you're going west, you're going five hours west out to the Appalachian Mountains over past Roanoke. And if you're going south, you're going down to the Outer Banks, which is like a three-hour drive. What are you, Ari? Just five hours? Right. So uh, we're an island of nowhere to go off-roading <laughs> here in Hampton Roads. So I'm guessing this is where the business idea came from. You got it. Yeah, and then the data we've gathered from wheretowheel.com shows us that there's approximately 190,000 uh, off-road interested people in Hampton Roads. So, and an off-road park could only serve 15,000 a year at close to max capacity. So, I mean, that's less than 10% of the market you're able to serve with an off-road park on an annual basis. Just here. Hmm. And then okay, our so area what... is the same up and down the East Coast, so it's not just like Hampton Roads. It's right. pretty much every major metro area. Every developed metro area has pushed out all the rural land and developed it. So there, you know, by way of that, there's no no off-road locations close to any cities. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's backtrack. You guys start where to where to wheel.com, which did. is a what did I do? You always did wheel to wheel. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. Um, 
You guys start where? Twowheel.com. Yeah. Now, now, see, now I'm all screwed up, and I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to say it right. Um, and I've known you guys for a while. So you start that. Was that kind of the, the thing, and then it evolved into this other aspect, mm-hmm. the, the actual park? Um, because that that at some point had – I remember when I first met you guys, it was like 100,000 users or something obnoxious, and where I was just like, wow, that's that's great. So can you talk about the evolution of how that started and then how it kind of turned into to what you guys are kind of more focused on from a um, – uh, day-to-day perspective. Yeah. So when we went to college, you left here. And when we came back, all the places that you were wheeling, which still weren't legal, were all closed or housing developments or whatnot. So you came up with the idea, well, you were spent hours trying to find where to go wheeling mm-hmm. and all the forums was the best place at the time. A lot of it was outdated or no one was commenting. There was no directions or, you know, it was just, not condensed, easily accessible, good information. And so you came up with creating a database for the country where people could just go on and add trails. They could take them down. They could adjust where the entrance is or conditions of the trail because, you know, it could be two weeks later, completely different depending on the weather or overuse or whatnot. And we started that. And that is the largest crowdsourced trail database still to this date. I don't even know. Key- we have like almost 40,000 members on that. Yep. Keyword being crowdsourced because yeah. there are other databases, but we're the largest crowdsourced one. And we're the only one that has trails, like a good amount of trails east of the Mississippi. Everyone else is really hardcore focused out west. Um, and so from that, what we learned was not only is there a lack of information, but if you look at the map, there's just an overwhelming amount of orange pins, which are people. And so people are coming to us to find somewhere to go off-roading. And so that basically is demand. Every person there is a demand for an off-road location. Um, And so then you came up with maybe the issue is that there really aren't any places that are close and easy. So the model right now for off-road parks or areas is, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres out in the middle of nowhere. Um, You know, you have to go for the whole weekend. You spend more time on the interstate than you do on the trails. And if you break, it's an issue. And so we kind of flipped the model to, close to metropolitan areas the goal is within an hour of the major city hub and it's the quick you know the fast food of operating you come in for like one to three hours you go home you know you don't have to camp you don't have to lose the whole weekend and you spend more time on the trails than you do on the pavement and that's where we're at so and we have a prototype in suffolk yep that we are crowdfunding to build a park here so we kind of move from the digital into the physical <laughs> how is it wow what's what's the response been so far uh it's been really good we've done not a ton of marketing it's, when did we launch it so we had to build it we just built a tiny little um basically a mvp prototype with tires which we got for free um some telephone poles which we got for free and some dirt and manpower and i think what what do you think the proving grounds three acres yeah, it's probably only about trails. three acres cleared, but uh, we spent less than $10,000 developing this prototype course, yeah. and uh, it's gone really well so far. The community has been great in supporting it. It's obviously something they want wow. to have happen. Our capacity is maybe only 12 vehicles per event, and we'll have 40 to 50 people trying to get into each event. So, yeah. so it's, I think we've been doing it since, I think. July 4th weekend was the first Yeah, July 4th was the opener. So, so and thing. that group has grown to like almost 1,200 people. Our Facebook group, which is where we push the event, post the events and pick people from. And we're using it as a, we created it as a, like a YouTube studio so that we can film content and further push the crowdfunding campaign because we thought that way people would get involved more if they actually saw people off-roading than just you know static images and in the meantime it fulfills the mission of getting people off-roading until we can get a park built um so that's it's been pretty good right and so an interesting thing with the prototyping process is it couldn't be a pay-to-play model because that would you then you'd have to get a business license and proper permits and everything so for it to be a invitation only private event we that was the only way to open this up and host these as private events where they're invite only and people can come out for free. So then it's not technically an operate business that's operating yeah. on the uh, prototype land. So 
Um, it's, it's been an interesting. So uh, it's more just like a invite your friends over to watch a football game type of thing. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be some from an invite only perspective. That's how. Right, right, right. Wink, yeah. wink. Yeah. It's so, more of a marketing studio. Yeah, yeah. We call right, it a right, YouTube right. studio, and we say we invite people out there to capture the content of off roading. And then we can distribute that content and use that content to fuel the flywheel of the crowdfunding campaign. Interesting. So the chat, so it's very interesting. I don't know that I've ever heard of a MVP from this kind of scale. You know, normally it's a very small hardware piece, if anything, mm-hmm. a software piece, the, the, you know, the, the, the dumbing of down of, of stuff to the littlest of things. This is, this is unique from that perspective. So it's cool <laughs> to talk through that one of the biggest challenges, and I know you guys have seen this too, with, with a lot of software is, you know, you get interest, but how do you turn that interest into actual dollars mm-hmm. uh, at some point? And you get a lot of, I don't know, fake data, if you will. And I'm interested in how you guys are looking at that with your 10 to 40 people of invite onlys. How, how are you maneuvering, understanding that they're going to pay you if this becomes a reality and they're not just coming because they're looking for something to do because it's free. So it's, so W2W parks is the crowdfunding page and on there you can do a couple different things. You can buy a different passes to the future park. You can buy a t-shirt, buy a sticker, you can sign up for the Proving Grounds Club, which is name your own price. And that's how you can get in at zero if you want. Um, the recommended amount is 11 a month. Um, so we create all these different actions that people can take. And then from that is how you have to have a receipt or an action taken on that site. Plus Mark is going on the event. And then from there, we pull people for the event. So you don't have to pay. You can come for zero. Um, but 98% of the people are paying and doing, um, you know, they're not doing zero. And so we've had a, mm-hmm. quite a few people put more than. I see it at 11 bucks a month, the the Proving Grounds membership, 11 bucks a month. What do you think it'll be when it's open in a legit business? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. what is Bush Gardens, 100 bucks a pop at this point? I mean, it seems like that's. Oh no, it won't be that much. You came up with the pricing. Yeah, we were thinking to, we'd like to have half of it be a subscription and half of it be, uh, so we were thinking 20 and 20, a $20 subscription that you hold on a regular basis. So that's $20 a month and then $20 each time you come out. So you're getting the, you know, you're paying for the $20 a month subscription and then each time you also show up at the park, you're paying $20 to off-roading. And we thought that was a good good revenue model because then we can predict the stable reoccurring revenue of the subscription. And then your hard costs of dirt leaving the park on vehicles are, is getting paid for by the $20 that they're paying when they come out. And then if you did want to do a subscription, it was like a per hour type thing. Like you got in the park, I think for 35. Yeah. You were saying $35 to get in and then $10 and $10 an hour after that. So if you want to stay all day, you can. If you want to stay for just an hour or two, you can be out the door. Um, and you can have the passengers are included. You know, you can have as many passengers as you can legally fit. So as many seatbelts as you have. Yep. Um, and then there's a spectator section. So, um, and what we found was we were with the proving grounds when we started it, because it's small and it's, you know, it's just tires and logs and some obstacles and some trails. Um, we weren't sure if reoccurring customers, if they would keep coming back, you know, so keeping them interested and their subscription active and supporting the mission. Um, but that has been the opposite. They all want to come back constantly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just further proves that, you know, people are so desperate for somewhere to go that even like a small, just come climb over the tires and stuff. They're willing to you know and most of the people are holding a subscription right now we haven't had anyone cancel so that's been five months so they've already paid 55 dollars for even the option of hopefully having somewhere to go so because that was one of the things we ran into when we were trying to pitch to investors was you know this whole how do you know they're going to show up yeah how you know they're going to be there is there demand and you know we're in the market so we can see it and i'm just like how can you guys not see this but they're outside of it and so this is also just proving the demand exists um you know because these people are putting money into a hope a possibility of hopefully having somewhere to go and they're opening their wallets and doing it so 
And right now you're just, you're open solely on the weekends at this point? Uh, yeah, we do have, we're just on the, uh, this month we will have a couple events on Sundays, but most of the time it's just one per weekend. It just depends on the demand. Like we just did a night wheeling one on Saturday, which was our first one. That was really fun. So that had like 60 people were interested in that. I think we had 11. That Eric, was that Eric Pinson? No, that's Sean Elling right oh. there. Yeah, yeah. He's come like what? two times and then he upgraded he got new tires those were 35s he switched to 37s and he moved to a long arm kit and then he was like i want to come back out i want to come back out and so he came back out to try it on or like if it's a rainy day people want to come because they want to try it in different conditions so it's been really interesting and good information collecting for us um but so far all of our assumptions have been proven yeah it's been nice to be able to do this prototype and be able to validate you know validate some of your assumptions without spending half a million dollars and trying to validate your assumptions there's another one was well what if it's raining i'm like they don't care if it's raining that's more exciting yeah i was good one of my questions was going to be uh do you have like a water truck on station that you can uh soak soak everything down and make some mud not yet not yet we're working on a possible mud Cause that's the other thing. We don't really have a lot of mud right now. Cause that is a lot more remediation. You know, you have to power wash, you know, there's a lot more that goes into taking care of that, which the park would have and they'll have rumble grids and stuff. So you get it all off before they get on the street. But you know, this low cost MVP, we haven't really messed with mud, but we have a lot of people asking for uh-huh. it. So we are contemplating why it is part of, um, he's the landowner and he's part of the where to will parks executive team. Um, that's where the proving grounds are at. So we're in discussion to possibly do some type of mud, special mud, special event, event mud days. So, so was the uh, was the land? Is that like donated by, uh, or do you do, are you leasing it currently? No, no. So it's on a private residence, and he has forty two acres. And uh, again, like if we wanted to lease the land, then you'd have to get the business permits and everything. And we looked into. Uh, subdividing his land. Well, that's the route we'd have to go if we wanted to put the business on his land and keep him living on it. We'd have to subdivide it because in Suffolk you can't have you can't have him living on the same land that a business would be operating yeah. on. Yeah, we actually tried. We're looking at his land, um, and we put it aside because you had to subdivide. We're, that's kind of back on the table. We don't know. Um, Isle of Wight Fairgrounds. We had talked to them a while ago. And it kind of stalled, but they're reinterested. So there's a couple places and pieces we're looking at. Um, and we scaled it down to like we can work with 15 acres and above instead of 50, mm-hmm. which is a lot. I mean this in the in the nicest of ways, right? But I, you guys have been trying to do this for a while. It's yeah. it's now finally getting some um, traction, some proving ground, right? So it's some stuff's actually happening, like. Mm-hmm. What, what's taken so long throughout this journey? Because I think so many other people at some point would have been like, all right, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to give up on this thing. But now it's starting to, you guys are actually, you know, putting um, pedal to the metal, if you I'm trying to think of all these car terms. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The rubber's meeting the road. Rubber's meeting the road, yeah. Rubber's meeting the poles the or whatever. Dirt. Yeah, the dirt, the mud. Like what, what's what's changed? Because it seems like some of the, the challenges that you just talked about are, are, are still there, but you guys are able to get through them in a little bit. Cause I think about like four or five years ago, you were talking to Isle of Wight, you were talking to Virginia mm-hmm. beach and you know, there's interest, but then when it actually takes it to that next step, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it ever gets there. So what, what's working now that wasn't before. Uh, so we actually put it down for, I don't know, a couple of years. Uh, and then when COVID happened, you know, um, we had some downtime. And so Dave was like, well, I'm going to explore the off-road park thing again, see if anything happens. Um, and you connected with a landowner in Pungo and we got really far with him, but he was older and we wanted a long-term lease. And so he wasn't, he didn't want to get into that. Um, but it kind of sparked everything again. And then we met Wyatt at, um, actually I'll give him a shout out, Jake Maines networking happy hour um carl clinthes i can never say his name right um with epic made had actually knew why and told him years ago that we were looking for land but white had just bought it and he wasn't really like he was about at that point they were just new to the land so he didn't really want to do anything on it but you know it just came back around and we met him and he was like yeah i'm trying to you know see if i can monetize some of it let's get together 
And then even though it didn't turn out we could use his, he was all on board because he was a jeeper and he like saw it too. So he could see the vision. Chris Shelton is still involved with it. He can see it. So it's just, you know, rounding out that final piece um, that would give us the ability to, you know, show that this does exist and the demand is there. Um, We had met with a couple investors right before COVID and it was funny because they were like, well, just go find like a farmer's field and throw up like a prototype and prove the demands there. And I was like, that's impossible. Like you have to have permits. You have to all this stuff. I can't just like throw it up in like a field. And then that's like where we're at. It's not a field. It's much nicer than that. Yeah. But we figured out a way to still work within what the city wanted and be able to show, you know, that this can work. And then he knew why he knew how to operate heavy equipment. He had connections. So it was just, honestly, it was, it was timing and luck. I mean, and I hate to hear that answer and I hate to give it, but it really was. It was just, you know, perseverance and then just and timing it, and luck. There's also a willingness by us to scale back the vision and say, okay, we're not going to get that half a million dollars from an, yeah. from an investor to create, you know, the park that we have that's the vision in our minds. So how can we, you know, without that investment, what could we do? And then we connected with Wyatt and we just figured out, you know, with the existing resources we had, what could we create? And we still have to like raise the money or find investors. So we haven't crossed that hurdle yet, but we're at least like proving like if the invest when we go talk to investors now we have proof that, you know, the they people will are pay to open their and pockets. they do exist. <laughs> Which is crazy. I'm like, just drive down the road. Every Jeep you see, that's a customer. Like, not like you're just stock Jeep, but you know. But what's the, what's the furthest someone's traveled? To oh my gosh, uh, we had someone way. come from Roanoke, Virginia, because she just bought a new Bronco. Her name was Danielle, and she messaged me because I saw it, and I'm like, you know, this is in Hampton Roads, right? And she's like, yeah. Is it okay if I come? And I was like, sure. And I'm like, you know, it's not like, you know, it's just a small park, you know, I'm like, I don't want you to drive four hours and expect three acres seems pretty big though. I mean, it's probably not, well, it's probably not that big. Yeah. yeah. You think so with the trails? Uh, Yeah. But I mean, I mean, mean, a Jeep is, I mean, it's not a race car, right? So I mean, they're going somewhat slow anyway. So it doesn't, three acres seems sufficient. It does. Yeah. Well, she was more stock. So like she could only do half the obstacles. Right. So anyways, but she, wanted to be in an environment where someone could like show her stuff and teach her stuff. And the Bronco was new to her. And so she drove down four and a half hours and -hmm. she's trying to come back. She's coming back, I think next month too. So she wants to, she got a new lift kit and she wants to come test it out because it's in a controlled environment where we have spotters like Dave and Wyatt and we have great volunteers from the community and they know what to tell you to do, how to do it. You can test different stuff, you know, easier, harder, there's recovery there. If you get stuck, it's not an issue. Do you have you to know. pay for recovery? No, we we do it, but we ask that they either tip or tag. So you either throw tip money in the tip jar if the weirdo crew does the recovery, or you tag on all your social media and like try to share it. That's smart. Um, yeah, and so she's she's come on from that. She's bought a shirt, a t-shirt, a sticker. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, she's, been, she's been a great supporter. Yeah, now we're having people show up with the, what I call the the three for all the t-shirt, the sticker, and they, they're paying. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's been fun. But, yeah. And, uh, back to three acres. Uh, it's great for us, but like, uh, Windrock in Tennessee has 70,000 <laughs> acres. Uh, Roush Creek in Pennsylvania has 1300 acres. But that's what we're so, fixing. Yeah. But, but it's smaller when it has Jeeps on it. Like it, those three acres. How big is 70,000 acres? Uh, yeah, That's Zach and I, we must be thinking about this from a lawn mowing standpoint. Uh, three <laughs> acres sounds like it's pretty large. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think. What well, I'm just thinking of what I just to. saw in that video of the, you know, the, yeah. the two-door yeah. Wrangler going through. You do that. Uh, you, you have three of those style courses. It seems... It yeah, seems it's like one that's big, It's one big course. There's eight obstacles now. Yeah, it, and then there's a little trail ride. Probably like three car. hours, three hours worth. Like after three hours, you've done everything. You've run it all, and you're ready to get out because you know you've done it all. Yeah, everyone usually goes through like one path. If they're beginner, the easiest. And then everyone wants to try. You know, let me try the medium. What if I try this? Can I try that way? Can I go backwards down the opposite? You know, not reverse, but can I go the opposite direction? They like to go hmm. play, so we call that freewheeling. It's freewheeling. Yep. So we have them come out. They go through. 
the course and the camera crew follows and we get all the, you know, YouTube content and then they can free you. Who's doing the video work? I, I meant, uh, I was, I wanted to ask you is that. Okay. Interesting. So I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so you're learning. So you want, you should. Yeah. Okay. I, thought that was, I thought that video, I mean, I wouldn't have known yeah. that you were a, a noob in that situation. So say what? <laughs> He said, I'm very new. We've only been doing it since July. Although Chris Shelton, I think, caught that on our gimbal with uh -huh. the film, yeah, film yeah. phone. And he's, I have to give Chris a shout out. He is really good at like getting angles and like B roll and like how to film it. He's really good at that. Yeah. And then you kind of compile it all. We have mm -hmm. two, two YouTube film, phone films going at the same time. And then I have mine capturing all the social media stuff. So. But, I mean, we just the gimbal is very forgiving too, though. What's that? The gimbal is very forgiving. You know? Oh, for sure. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's it, very it, easy. It's a to good use. stabilizer. You know, 15 yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those, yeah. The, the tech behind some of those things has really improved to make things a heck of a lot easier for people. Yeah. Right. And everybody has these, you know, like $1,500, $2,000 cell phones nowadays. Yeah, so we just, cameras. you know, everybody's cell phone has a camera that is yeah. perfectly adequate for YouTube. So we just use personal phones yeah. and then the gimbals. And Funny story, we easy. had um, these two, their, their YouTube is geekgeeks.tv, but they're film teachers, but they showed up with this like huge camera thing. And by, mm -hmm. I don't know, an hour and they just started their YouTube channel. Um, it was too heavy and his arm was like tired. His, his discs were out of space, all this stuff. So he came over to me, he's like, what are you using? And I was like, it's like a hundred dollar gimbal off Amazon. And he went and he messaged me that day and he went <laughs> and switched to that. <laughs> yep. because his camera was for off-roading you need something really light you know because you're walking around running between vehicles you need to stabilize you need to be able to move it really quickly so like holding a big camera is very difficult those big cameras are really only needed for broadcasts so that they'll go in and they'll stretch correctly yeah. otherwise for for your you know your your laptop yeah. and stuff like that you don't need a crazy um nope. resolution <laughs> camera that's what most people aren't thinking about in that kind of setting yeah so, uh -huh. yeah, and uh, the hard nut to crack has been convincing people. So since we have offered off-roading as part of the crowdfunding campaign, it's convincing people that aren't coming off-roading to get involved with the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, like if their Jeep's down, but like you can still support the park, you don't have to come wheeling, you know, um, that's a message we have to, we have to, we we made the crowdfunding message basically pay to come, you know, or donate and that gets you into the wheeling events or go submit your receipt because you can't do zero. And now we have to kind of backtrack that a little bit too. Anyone can support and participate, even if your Jeep's down or you don't want to come. Um, it's just a bonus that you could come. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out how to balance the messaging of support the crowdfunding campaign or you know, support the crowdfunding campaign so that you can come off-roading. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just over here thinking about, uh, you all can have a lot of fun in terms of like having some some bands come out there, having like some sort of camping event stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, that would bring people that are the, your non-traditional people. Yeah, yeah we have four-wheel parks um, on Virginia Beach Boulevard on the 13th. It's bringing some of their employees are coming and they're bringing all their uh, the four wheel. If you drive by four wheel parks, they have like a Jeep, a couple different Jeeps that are parked up like on their RTI ramp that they show off and stuff. They're bringing some of those. So that should be some fun. That'll be a good connection. And yeah. uh, Cavalier Ford brought out some vehicles. So that yeah. was a good connection. Broncos. Uh huh. Um, started up the Jeep crowd to have Broncos out off-roading. So that. Uh, oh my gosh. It was an interesting insight into why I'm the so social media companies uh, divide their audiences and, you know, like stir the pot essentially to get the audiences to uh, argue with each other. Yeah, because so we're a, a Jeep it page. Worked. And then when we put up well, this. Well, we're an off-road page, but majority of the market is or has been jeeps the jeep community adopted where to wheel yeah. and then when we put up the bronco videos they um, lost their minds uh -huh. yeah. even though 90 percent of our content is jeeps they just but i mean the video went to like 4500 views yeah like no 72 hours the video went further than any other Facebook. video we've done before 
Well, so crazy. what do you mean they lost their minds? Like they they were like, yo, get wow. this Bronco off of here. Like we don't like yeah. Broncos. Like we don't uh, like OJ. Dave, like where, where are we going with this? Dave accidentally stirred the pot. Yeah, yeah. So when I dropped the video, I, uh, you know, titled or, or in the description, I said that the Bronco is a better value than the Wrangler is because the Bronco, you can get the most aggressive off-road package on a base, base model Bronco, whereas if you buy a Wrangler and you want the most extreme off-road package they offer, you have to buy the most expensive Wrangler. So, so I was arguing that the value, better value is the Bronco. And that, made, just saying that like, made the Jeepers you know, head explode. If you were looking for like base model, the Bronco base model came with more off-road equipment than the Jeep base model does, which it does with sway bar disconnects and stuff. And they just, that was it. They ran with it. Oh my gosh. This guy was like building Jeeps out on Jeeps website, sending me, nah, I mean, just like crazy, like lost their minds. So that was so. Really does your funny. LinkedIn profile say shitster or like what? It, like what? <laughs> you didn't even think it was going to do anything because you were like, it's pretty. I mean, it's true. I mean, you could, this comes with lockers and this, this and that, and that doesn't. But uh, they but, did not appreciate. Well, then some people were like, yeah, like your Jeep people are crazy. Some other people were like, I don't care as long as people are off roading. But eighty percent of them were just like. Yeah, but so I, I get now why controversial content drives yeah, engagement. Yeah, it was insane. We weren't even trying to be controversial. They no, just didn't. Uh -huh. They got upset. Yep. So. So have, you, so have you become controversial a second or a third time to continue to drive uh, no. traffic? No, no, only from that Ford day. We had two videos come out of that that yeah. were uh, oh, yeah, the, Bronco the, Bron Sport. the full size Bronco off roading and then the Bronco Sport, which is a baby Bronco off-roading and that made people's heads explode Both too. Both went to like over 4,000 views with no boosting or anything. But we haven't gone back to that tactic since. Yeah. So knowing that brands, like you said, uh, when they'll split their customers, if they, if they know they have multiple customers, how, how does one do that? You just, because if you have a brand that's built around 90% Jeep owners, but you're realizing that some of the Bronco stuff is here, do you create a second page? What, what do you do to, to make sure that you're not missing out on a part of that market? We include it all. So like we've always been from the very beginning, while the off-road market is heavily Jeeps and we own, and that was the thing. Dave was like, I own a Jeep. Like people are like yelling and he's like, I own a Jeep. I'm a Jeeper. But um, we've always been, you know, this is an inclusive, you know, we don't care what you drive. We don't care. I don't care. Like, yes, most of the market is Jeep. And that is a lot of what comes out. So we do a lot of marketing with Jeeps and stuff, but you know, you can have a Bronco, you can have a truck. You can have, you know, a Toyota, you can have a forerunner. I don't care. Like off-roading is off-roading as long as it's, you know, not ATV or side-by-side. -side. We don't really work with that. Um, that's a different, whole different market. Um, so, and so like when we, like people want to come out, I don't say, oh, you have to have a Jeep. And right. so, you know, so like a lot of our content, most of it is Jeeps. That's just because that's the majority of the market, but we try to include everybody. I mean, there's a market for trucks. There's a market, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think we're trying to remain brand agnostic and yeah. just be about off-roading. And uh, and the local people get it. It was the, like, national. national yeah. Like, no one in our local group, the Proving Grounds, were like, oh, you had a Bronco. But, you know, national, it just some people, it just, they were, you know, they had to come in and do their Jeep pride. So, which is fine. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care. You know, you can... You know, if you prefer a Jeep, that's fine. But we were just making a point, which the guy did have to kind of concede to because after multiple, multiple, multiple comments. So we try to stay kind of like, you know, all inclusive. You know, anyone can come, whatever vehicle, you know, because there are different markets, although the majority are Jeep. But for now, we'll see. That could change. I don't see it changing, but it could. Yeah, now yeah. if we get a title sponsor that's either, you know, Jeep or Ford, then yeah, we can lean one way or the other, but <laughs> it's got to be worth it for us. Yeah. Is the price tag higher for Ford, knowing that you're going to uh, take off all the, the Jeepers? Or, oh, that's, uh, a, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Although this is like the thing, like I told somebody there, someone asked us that a while ago and I was like, you know, they might be upset, but it's like one of those where like, if you're the only game in town, Mm -hmm. yeah they're still they would still come they just might not like it as much <laughs> as if it was jeep but hmm. 
All right, so you have this 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 MVP, this prototype, this project out. It's not really making yeah. money at this point. What are you guys doing to to stay afloat uh, living in in Virginia Beach? I mean, it's you, you guys still doing the other thing. Like, where where where's money coming in? We still own and work our healthy vending company. So that was the first business we started. It's mainly in the public schools, so COVID was real fun. Um, well, but, that was going to be my next question. How was COVID yeah. with that? Yeah. We got like a crazy break. <laughs> like everybody else went back like June, like restaurants open, you know, a lot of people were, like working at home, but a lot of businesses were back. Nope. Not us. We had all the way till April, 2021. It was a long staycation. Yes. So you were working on the off-road park. I actually had neighbors, um, our old neighbors, their kid was doing remote and they asked me to help tutor them. So I did that, which was actually really fun. I got to do eighth grade, like science and English all over again. So that was Ugh. fun. Oh my God. It was so much fun. I kind of miss it. <laughs> but, um, so we, you know, government stimulus, um, the IDL, PPP, stuff like that. Yeah. I think and total, we got, uh, $235,000 in government the, assistance. No, no. Uh, we got grants and stuff yeah, too. Of which we, uh, 199,000 of that is debt that we owe back. Yeah. So um, it's over a 30 year term. So you can't be too mad about yeah, that. It's at like, a three and a half percent interest rate. Can't be too upset about that. It's so. like $700 a month or something. But it is frustrating it's when sad. the government tells you to shut down and then take out a $200,000 loan yes. so you can stay in business. Yes. But here we are. So we made it. Can, yeah. we, can, we, talk, can we talk more about this? Yeah, because sure. I mean, it is it is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. like I like. Oh yeah. <clears throat> hey, by the way, you have to shut down. We're going to give you this money, right, mm -hmm. so that you can float. But I mean, did you guys ever think about throwing the towel? Like, where like were you? Were our schools ever going to go back? Like, where, like where are oh, yeah. you on that whole like aspect? Because I, I mean, literally, to have no customers, and you hear about mm -hmm. the restaurants we of had, the world and, and, and yeah. retail struggling and stuff like that, but to literally not even have the doors open for, mm -hmm. I don't even know when schools went back to school. It seems like uh, Virginia Beach was April. They went back and well, they did a hybrid half so of a full them were year, there a full days. year off. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Half okay. of them were there for two days. Half of them were there for the other two Friday, they were closed. And then they went back out in June. Were they against, a high touch area like that because a machine like that i mean it only gets cleaned you know when you guys come in if you guys even clean it you know type of thing like you look at some of these things i mean just how often are people cleaning door handles you know like i was yeah. super paranoid during COVID. i don't know why like but you know hey, I, we all were yeah well I, there was a time where i think i was with tim and i was like can you open that door for me <laughs> like, was, like, was, uh, we're not like you, yeah, I mean, I got a little so weird. Uh, interestingly, there's an antimicrobial film that you can put over the front of the machine and put it over the buttons and everything. And it's uh, got copper filaments running through it, and the bacteria can't grow on the copper. So yeah. we um, never actually ended up using we, it. We purchased it and we told all the schools that we'd put it on if they request it, but uh, never actually followed through with that request. So, well, and so Cape Henry Collegiate went back in person. September 2021 and then we had a couple other like boys and girls reading Kelly um so there were a few that were still going um and then the public schools went back we were really worried about that start of 2021 or in 2021 um the whole yeah like they're supposed to be wearing masks are they even going to allow the vending machines on what if they're eating snacks um you know actually I think they went back in February not April Oh. I don't know. It was it was after the holiday. They tried going back in November for like a hot sec, like three days, and they stopped. Right. Um, so it was really one of those where we had we talked about throwing like throwing in the towel. Yeah, yeah we discussed bankruptcy. Several uh, different I times. think at the time we had like thirty thousand dollars in debt on six machines that were purchased yeah. in twenty eighteen. Yeah, and then um, so, so like, we were sorry. Huh? Keep going. Go ahead. I was going to say, we were like, I know it was like holidays. I don't know if it was 2020. It must have been. And we were literally like, okay, we're going to close it down. And then Virginia opened these grants and you applied. Oh, and yeah, we got yeah. like 35000 And we're like, okay, well, maybe they'll go back in March. We'll just see. And it just ended up like, Stringing you know. Along. And then like PPP opened back up. And so we're like, okay, well, now we have two more months. We'll see. And then they went back. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we made it. I don't know. Um has it fully and, recovered since? 
Like, are you back? Yeah, to- actually, last year they were. I want to say so focused on COVID stuff, they weren't really Paying focused on the machines. Yeah. This year, it's definitely been a little interesting. Um, some of the schools they wanted them out of the academic wings because the kids are going to them, but then other schools are like, use the machine as much as you want. So it's definitely the landscape is changing. We're having to navigate that um, some, but it is, I mean, it's, it's back in, you know, it's surviving. Yeah. And it, uh, so there's a greater need for control and tracking over the kids now, which yeah. has been an interesting shift post COVID. Some schools, and other schools. It's going as far as they're having the kids use their cell phones and they all have to have an app. It's like a hall pass app yeah. that they have to have on their cell phones. And the app looks at how many kids are out in the halls Always. at one time in the building. Yeah. And until a student returns to his classroom, another student can't yeah. be released from that class. Yeah. If that makes sense. And it's just really interesting. Like some schools are like really strict, like didn't want them in the academic. I'm not going to name schools, but didn't want the academic wings, like only in this area. Other schools are just like, can I get another machine? Like, um, and they're talking about going back to one lunch in January, which the year they switched to one lunch in 2019, they did one lunch. Our sales jumped 30% because basically the school moves to where everyone's on lunch for 45 minutes, the whole school is. And then after that, that's it. And so like a lot of the kids that it actually, the the principles of it are really good. So the whole reason they started this was so like kids that were doing sports couldn't get tutoring or kids that were doing a sport couldn't participate in a certain club. And so now they can use the one lunch time to hold tutoring or club meetings or other stuff like that. And so that was the whole principle behind it. Um, obviously COVID put a quick stop to that. I mean, they did that for all of 2019 and then into 2020 until it stopped. Um, but they're talking about going back to one lunch in January. So fingers, fingers crossed, crossed that they do. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but so it seems like this, it's balancing back out, but some schools are still like, and then other schools are just like, well, free for all. So it's definitely interesting. Yep. You, you brought up technology. When when did vending machines modernize? Like, oh boy, yeah. I, I never I never paid attention to them, but it's just like I, when I saw oh, yeah, they're so pay smart with Apple now. Pay and all that yeah. kind of stuff, I was like, wow, that's yeah. Unless when knew? we started the vending company, which is in 2012. August, well, actually, we started in 2011. The machine first machines replaced in summer of 2012. They had credit card readers, but you only it was literally just a swipe. That was it. Mm-hmm. And maybe what? Probably three percent of our sales were credit cards. It, we were at least eighty percent cash at yeah. that point. Credit card sales were a pretty minimal part of our sales. And then it moved to okay, now these new modems, you can also do the tap, the near field communication. So that was like that was the big shift. And then wow. now it's, you know, mobile pay, all of it. They can take any of it, you know, your Apple Watch. And those are um, the newest modems. And and now we, our, have most, it, we actually bought a bunch of those over COVID because they were running a huge deal on them. And we were like, okay, well, even if we don't survive, we can resell them because they're in the box. And so now most of our machines are at that in what? probably at least 30% of sales, oh, no, if it's, not it's more. Close, it's over 50%. Yeah, it's what percentage of sales is cash now? It's I haven't, uh, I didn't relook this year. Last year it was still, it's still a lot of cash, but the kids more and more now, right. because with Apple Pay, they just use their phone. They don't even have wallets at school anymore. So yeah, their watches. So a lot of it is becoming digital. Do you yeah, guys pay that way? Like like when you're somewhere, do you, um, I, don't have, I don't have any of those things. I, don't know. I know the team has an iWatch. It seems frustrating um, with it, according to Twitter. Like, do you, my phone. I'm thinking. It depends. Sometimes, like, I, honestly, this is awful. Like, we've never used vending machines besides our own. So I can't remember the last time I actually used a vending machine. Actually, I tested one in Charlotte. Remember, I was on the phone with you. Now that we own vending machines everywhere we go, you, we always, like, in airports, we always go find the vending machine bank just to see you know, what machines they have, what modems do they have, who are they using, what are they carrying, are there anything cool enough? Speaking of airports, those really yeah. expensive uh, vending machines with all like the crazy swag, it's not swag, it's yeah. like electronics. Yeah, like Best Buy like, and is, stuff. Is, is there good money in there? Cost. 
is that is that is is that is there markup in there like what like i don't believe so no, so best buy they... started that program and then they sold off that vending division yeah. to i think it went in a couple of different directions i know some of them went to makeup vending machines yeah. and then some of them went to lego vending machines in the airports yeah so i don't i can't imagine they sold it if they were making too much money with it but, um, and now they're using, I just saw in the Charlotte airport in August, they're using old like restaurant, um, like refrigerators, you know, like you, like when you go to 7-Eleven, you open it. Now they're making these where they, you can use that refrigerator, but it, the door is like replaced with this smart door. And it has like a, it's basically replacing micro market. So a person doesn't have to work it, but there's a like modem and a keypad and you swipe your card or enter your cash and you have like all these banks of refrigerators and you pick which number you want and you enter it and once the product you know is done that door unlocks and then the rows have sensors and they see when you peel it out and if you you can also swipe and then just pick whatever you want and it'll just charge you at the end that was like the newest thing i saw in charlotte in august i think that was really cool i used that that was like the most recent thing i was like how does this work so that was kind of cool to see but, Do you guys get paid a sitting fee plus transaction fee or just transaction? Uh, we charge them 10, it's a 10 cent fee. Yeah, so we pass along a 10 cent cashless fee that they have to pay when they use their credit card or something. But You can't uh, go above 10 cents. But I'm saying that the period. school doesn't pay you, the school isn't paying you a sitting fee to have the vending machine in there or you only no, have money? Pay, if... we pay them a commission, a percentage of sales based on oh, the so they make money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're getting either 15% of our gross sales or up to 30% net. Yeah, depending on vents uh -huh. per day. So the more they let the kids use it, and the more the kids buy stuff from it, the higher their commissions are. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, one interesting thing, since we were talking about COVID, one interesting thing we did with the EIDL, which was uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan, is if you went, uh, if you borrowed $200,000 or more, you became personally liable for it. So we made sure to stop that number at 199.5 so that the business is the only person that maintains liability for that one. Yeah, take it to the man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. I wasn't willing to. Well, at that point, we didn't know if, you know, schools were going to and how it was going to. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to have that. No, and there was no point taking more money than we needed. I mean, that was plenty. It got us through the year. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still cushion in there to deal with stuff that comes up. You know, there's no point. They were changing stuff left and right anyway, where this is yeah. this is going to be accepted, this isn't, you know. So uh, I mean, was, Tim and I are on these email chains where people are going back and forth on stuff. They're still talking about it today. And it's just like, yeah. oh my goodness, like what are we doing here? Like, why do I need 17 emails a day to tell me about $4,000? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a year of what I call the touch and go year. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Oh, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. <laughs> Constant back and forth. So, it was so what's, what, what's next? How do you see the rest of this year play out? Are you looking to like be open three or four days a week or are you looking to go from three to five acres or uh, what so what are your plans if, if you had if you were the king and queen of wheeling for a day where would things go uh it, i think growth right now is the main thing we so we suspect there are 190,000 people in the area interested in off-roading possibly more but right now we've only got i think 1200 people in the where to wheel group so we need to Grow that group to between five and ten thousand followers if we want to have some you know solid uh conviction that there is a sizable market interested in off-roading in hampton roads so it's really just exploring more growth opportunities seeing how much more momentum we can get behind the crowdfunding campaign when we stepped into the crowdfunding campaign we knew it was going to take longer than 30 or 60 days which is why we didn't use kickstarter or indiegogo because we didn't want to be constrained to that time limit knowing that this was going to be a slow burn crowdfunding campaign and that we were going to be hosting these events for at least a year to generate the capital needed to open an off-road park. I would say if I was the queen of wheeling, um, we would find land and have the funding be able to open, start the park process, permitting process. That's where yeah. I want to see it go. But Is that um, with, with land that is undeveloped, is, is the zoning thing, is that the typical challenge that you face, that it's just not zoned properly? 
No, actually, most of the rural land is in agricultural zoning, which is fine. You can pretty much do still got a, con whatever a you conditional want. use permit. Yeah, we most of it we don't have to go through rezoning, which is good because that's like another three months. But to go through a conditional use permit process is a ninety day, you know, process at best. You have to you know submit your application. It goes up on their site for thirty days. You know, people get to weigh in, and then it goes to city council, and they say yes or no. And then if they say yes, then you go into another ninety-day period of site map planning, which is basically, you know, this is what we want to do. This is where parking is going to be. How are you going to, you know, take care of the mud, all that stuff? Which we've done a lot of that mm -hmm. in the past, so we have a lot of that ready. Um, and if they sign off on that, then you can start actually like building. So then the build out would probably be three months 90 days yeah but um, um the and then you can go from there yeah the constraint around this area and looking at rural land is wetlands yeah. if there's wetlands mm -hmm. on it uh we ideally don't want to be off-roading through it because then you got to get a ton of permits from the army corps of engineers and that it introduces a whole lot of liability so trying to find dry uplands has been the constraint you can off-road in a wetland because you're not technically building anything and they have all these um guidelines on how to build trails through wetlands like mainly from like alaska or like if people have land you know you need to get across your land if it's in a wetland then you have to be able to get across it so we can use it it just takes a lot more um more maintenance more yeah, bureaucracy more remediation like you basically have to open the trail if it's in the wetland you know once it starts getting degraded you have to be able to switch that one off and turn on a new one which is we can do but when you put the permit, you know, the conditional use application, and that's going to be, you know, depending on what you have to do, if it has a wetland delineation or not, it's going to be anywhere from two to five grand just to submit your application. And you don't get any of that back. So it's kind of like, you know, you're rolling the dice on whether or not, you know, and then if it does have wetlands, then you have to wait for the Army Corps of Engineers to come in and also say, Check okay, we approve of this, which is, you know, another two to three months, probably, because they're pretty slow. So. I, I remember when I first met you guys, I, I was impressed with some of the social stuff from a marketing perspective where, um, whether it be a meme, uh, something Jeep related, probably not yeah. Bronco related. We don't need to start that fight again. <laughs> uh, but, but something had gone somewhat viral and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested in, I mean, I, I've seen you guys are putting together the videos, putting a lot of content around that. Mm -hmm. When I think of Jeeps, um, something that, um, a lot of people do is, you know, the wave, something like that. There's yeah. the, the duck thing. Yes, um, you know, get people ducked. get ducked. Mm -hmm. right. Tim, are you, have you ever been ducked, Tim? You know no, I, I, I don't think I have my Jeep. That's but yeah, do you know it, it's, so it's they you know people like will put like a duck on your jeep and then you know there's you're supposed to take a picture mm -hmm. or something like that is there any marketing around that that you guys are going to do or not necessarily with duck but like have you guys thought of something like that or is there any kind of movement to get people in um kind of like the um, in that style or what are you guys trying to do to get those 1200s uh up and higher yeah so um i do most of all the marketing you do the youtube videos um and we're growing, we're trying to get to YouTube monetization too, because that would also funnel, that money would funnel into the off-road park uh, pot, I guess you want to call it that, um, which we're getting closer on that. We're at like 870 something subscribers, you need a thousand and you have to get 4,000 watch hours in 365 days. And we're at, I think like 2,700, but we didn't kick it in until June. So you got to like take a couple months off of that. But anyways, um, instead of doing the ducks and stuff so the ducks you basically just put them on a jeep in like so there are jeep clubs like camp Rose jeep family they could put you know they put their name on it and they tell you to come join their group um so we could do that we actually just made these cool business cards with the qr code to the group or to the, the off-road park page that uh, a lot of people have been asking us for it so they can put it on people's jeeps or when they're talking to someone so we're kind of using that instead of ducks because everybody does ducks now and people have so many ducks that it's just like kind of overwhelming and it's not it's like one of those okay well then they have to remember to go to the group instead of just having the qr code right there um, but what a lot of it is is i film a lot of them off-roading so then when i post that and i make a reel so i tell people you know because everyone wants to see their jeep doing the obstacle right so i'll tell them when i send them the message like hey go check out our youtube channel the content's going to be posted there, the Wearable Facebook, the Proving Grounds Facebook, and on our Instagram. And most people, a lot of people do go follow all of them. And then they'll share it on their page. And so it's kind of, it's using people's own um, 
content to kind of funnel back and forth has been working pretty well. So, and just uh, video content in general. Uh, yeah. There's not a ton of the offer of video content being produced. It, I would. It's not a saturated market. It's probably a underserved market as far mm -hmm. as uh, capturing and distributing off-road video Actual content. So uh, just distributing the content, publishing yeah. it, and getting our message out attached to that content has really been our best technique so far. Yeah, we've had a couple Is there anything specific viral. with that? Like, I, I think I think a lot of people would say that's a good, uh, it's a good technique, it's a good strategy, but like you're just tagging them and they are, happen to be resharing, like what? Yeah, so a lot of times, so like I'll tell them, you know, at the end of an event, we have a like a thank you message, a thank you for coming out, blah, blah, blah. Here's the t-shirt link if you want one or stickers or whatever. But I also will give them all the channels and all, and they know because now we've been doing it. So people have been seeing it for a while. They know that we're going to load videos and I constantly getting message. When's the video going up? When's the video going up? You know, so then I'll tell them. And so usually by that point, they're already in the Proving Grounds group but they might not be on the YouTube channel or they might not be on our Instagram. And so about 60 to 70% of them will also then go and follow the YouTube channel or our Instagram. And then they end up, then I'll see like they end up inviting people. So like when they go wheeling and then they share it on their page and their friends who have Jeeps get interested. And so then they invite them to the premium grounds. It's kind of this flywheel that just kind of like spins itself. We just have to kind of keep it going. Um, and so I'll post their stuff. I'll make reels and stuff with it and, you know, um, I'll post it and tag them. And so then a lot of times they will also then take it, you know, take that post and share it on their page and then say at the proving grounds. Um, and then everyone's like, what's the proving grounds? And then they just funnel them back to us. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say free marketing because I'm having to do the work. We're having to film it. We're having to edit it and all that stuff, but it's a form of unpaid. Right. Yeah. And then the other tactic has been going to the off-road shops in the area and the clubs. And, you know, if we get a club with 3000 people in it, we get a dozen of their members to come out. And then, you know, the entire group is going to watch the off-road content yeah. of their club at the proving grounds. Yeah. That worked our very first one. We bought Hampton Road Sheep Families, one of the larger groups in this area. And they came out, they've been great supporters of mm -hmm. it. They've donated, um, they bought a shareable pass for their members later when the park opens. But that created this whole funnel where then all like a ton of them wanted to come. So they signed up. Um, that works pretty well. We have a couple groups. It's reaching all the way up to like Richmond. Like for the night wheeling, we had two people from Williamsburg, a person from Richmond, a person from Gloucester. Mm -hmm. How do you say that? And, and it's, a, it's like a 639 o'clock event. And I'm like, y'all got to drive home. Like what if you break something? But they're just like. You know, so we were really focusing just Hampton Roads. And what we've learned is we can pull all the way up to Richmond. They are willing to drive down for two hours right. of off-roading. <laughs> you know, those Gloucesterites, they like that. You know, people, the Gloucesterites, they love it. You know, they'll do anything so, for a Jeep park. Okay, you know, just, Gloucester? 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 I don't know. All you guys in your names around. You got to roll the S. I don't know what I just said. I'm <laughs> from, like, Iowa, where it's just, like, one thing is for certain though the <laughs> the only people that respect how difficult it is to grow a community are the people that have tried to grow a community because it, it yeah, is not easy it is yeah we're learning so where to wheel.com facebook page i think it's like forty five thousand people 46 i don't know somewhere on that between that and instagram i think we're almost at 50 and so we've had a lot of people that are like want to work with us with the crowdfunding campaign but also because we have this you know, crowd audience of 50,000 people. So we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we leverage that audience a little bit more? Cause it's just kind of hanging out over there. Right. Yeah. It's been interesting so, seeing that other people look at that yeah. and see a value to that, that we've got this audience that we can distribute information to. Mm -hmm. And uh, for, so for example, Saturday night, night wheeling, we were, had a $4,000 thermal camera oh, mounted God. to the roof of my Jeep. And guess what fell off the roof of my Jeep? <laughs> But I think and it was on loan from a local business. Right. So then I uh, got in touch with customer support for the company yesterday. And I ended up getting a phone call back from the CEO of the thermal camera company because she's, yeah, she saw that we have a you know 50,000 person audience and then another 30,000 person audience on our private website. And she sees that as customers that we can access, customers that they could potentially access. So we ship them the camera back. They're going to fix it for free and it'll come back to us. And we've just got to do a promotional Promo video, video for the camera. And then, you know, 
then we yeah. don't have to buy a four thousand dollars thermal camera that we do. So that was like that's like so this is a company, you know, she's raised like 40 million in private investment up in New York. Um, her name is Mary Ellen Kramer. She's mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Um, but you know, then it's like us sitting here and she sees value in, you know, the, the audience. The yeah. audience. So we're like, okay, how do we how do we but that worked out well. So but we've is gotten it, it, all of that. When you're pitching to these communities, is is it 50 50 is it like 99 one like how often are you getting no's are Which they all receptive to it uh, to like the, the um, yeah to the groups and stuff like that where you're like hey like we have this thing we have not had any of them said no a lot of it's more like scheduling when can they get you know because we say okay we're going to close the park to a proving grounds day because you can do a group day we have a group coming out on saturday uh, like the four wall parks rented i don't want to say rented but it's basically they're creating a day where it's just their members and you have to have at least six people for us to be able to do that because then we have to take that day out of the availability for the general proving grounds public, if you want to call it that. Um, and so it's more like scheduling and then getting the Jeeps and then who can come down, who can, whose Jeeps are working. If this person Jeeps Jeep broke, can they switch someone else in? Um, but we haven't had any none say no um they've actually they're actually reaching out to us it's so funny because when we first started the campaign i kicked it off with messaging all these groups and hamford's g family is the only one that got back to me and now like we've had like what three or four and then there's one from richmond and one from fredericksburg that are trying to get a date set for january we're booked out through the rest of the year now um and then four parts reached out cavalier ford your dad made that connection so we haven't had any say no. It's more just scheduling, like trying to get everyone. I mean, you're trying to sell, uh, you know, you're trying to sell off-road, off-roading to off-roaders. Yeah. yeah. So. It's not a hard sell. No. <laughs> it's just more getting them to buy, you know, it's, it's getting over the hurdle of, you know, this is towards something bigger than just coming wheeling for the day. Like the purpose is to build a whole thing so that everyone can go wheeling all the days yeah so but yeah we're having to like adjust our messaging here and there um but there's a lot of like there's a lot of what i call super supporters so you know they just keep spreading the word or they buy a t-shirt and a shirt yeah and, we know. had one guy uh he bought a 1500 dollars pass he's yeah. never met us before he doesn't even want to come well he wow. just see an off-road park bill uh-huh i'm like i need more where i'm more of you <laughs> yeah so yeah, send them a shirt anyway yeah yeah, yeah probably, that's what i was saying probably should yes. yeah and, and everyone was like note. and everyone yeah. was like we need winter note. gear and i was like you guys just bought t-shirts and i put up long sleeve shirts and like everyone's just buying long sleeve shirts now so so now we have people that have a, a sticker a t-shirt a long sleeve shirt a hoodie yep. <laughs> and are donating those are super supporters that's what i call them so yeah I've been waiting to see when we drive around town and see a weird little sticker uh, yeah. on somebody's vehicle. We've had several come to the park that have had them, but I mean, they're already, yeah. Hey, why would we have you, um, why would we have you on? You all have been big supporters of 1 million cups. Yes. Yeah. Give, give us a, give us the rundown real quick. We'll make a short for this, help get that okay. promoted out to, uh, to folks. What, what's, uh, what's the haps with 1 million cups these days? So One Million Cups Virginia Beach is one, uh, we're sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation out of Kansas City. We're one of over 100 different communities across the country that meet on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 to have a cup of coffee and help the local entrepreneurship small business community. Um, we call it pitch practice. So it can be anything from an idea to preparing for an investor pitch to, you know, you just want to ask questions or get feedback, connections. Um, we meet the second Wednesday of the month at Assembly in Norfolk because we're trying to create collaboration here in the entrepreneurial community in the 757. And the third Wednesday, we meet at the Hive and Town Center, which is um, a small business resource center sponsored by the city of Virginia Beach. So you can find us at womanincups.com slash Virginia Beach. Yep. And uh, Assembly, if you haven't been out there, is a beautiful building to yes. go visit. And you get to go sit up on their uh, rooftop uh, what, venue. It, yeah. It's a nice place to uh, host One Million Cups at. So yeah. if you've yeah. got the availability, come on out and yes. see Assembly. So shout out to Hunter and uh, Monique in the 757. Is it Colab now? Yeah. Excellent question. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a founder, I, I highly recommend you uh, get signed up. 
do your application, yeah. pitch at 1 million cups or practice your talk at 1 yes. million cups. Great place to get uh, nice, great feedback <laughs> without being uh, belittled or yeah. um, you don't have, it's it. You don't have to be afraid. Yeah. Right, Karen right. Eagle always calls it shark tank without the bite. Is there what you she go. Calls it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a great, it's good networking and mm -hmm. connections. Um, so I'm trying to think we landed a private investment from there. I was trying to think if we met Wyatt through there, but that was Jake's. So yeah. either way, it's good networking. Love it. Yeah. Hey, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? No, I think we cover everything. Huh? Yeah, no, I think we got it. Tim, when's Tesla going to be back over three hundred dollars? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> what an uh, you know, I think that uh, now that uh, the Twitter deal is uh, under the belt, I think that. Um, everything will settle out a little bit. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we should see a steady climb up towards 300 again. We'll yeah. see though. I've been, I've been waiting for that for a minute. Not, not investment advice, but uh, yeah, I think see yeah, uh, right. things are settling out. Yeah. yeah. We know when Zach's going to bring his Jeep out to the proving ground. Oh yeah. There we go, Zach. Yep. You won't, don't break anything though. <laughs> so we, we, just yeah. trail ride. we appreciate you guys giving the opportunity yeah. to uh, share our story with you guys. I've never yeah, taken my Jeep off road. Well, of course. So, I know. First time for everything. Yeah, I know a place where you can learn. <laughs> um, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of that. We have a lot of beginners. Yeah, like a lot. Oh, so now it's a big thing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, no, like we have like and a lot of women, which we were really. I mean, this is a male-dominated sport, but it's probably fifty percent female that have come yeah. out to drive their jeeps. So, so really what are you what are you saying that. to Zach then? Well, no, because he was saying I've never been off-roading. I've never taken off-road. So I was just saying we have a lot of beginners. So, yeah, oh, just... we had we had three beginners there for night wheeling. Uh-huh. So every every event, there's a beginner usually. Oh, yeah. So we're used to it. That's all I would say. All right. Well, um, maybe I'll see you sometime as a beginner. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get out there and uh, do Yeah, yeah it's a good time. You won't break anything. Kick some dust up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate y'all's time. Yeah, yeah. Have a great day. Cheers. Thank you, Thank you, you guys. Too. You too. Bye. See ya.